This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 274. 2022-er. Home Brewer. Overviewer. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Oh, we got a fun one today, Hunter, but before we have any fun, we have to talk business, as we always do. Business time Uh up front. Guess what? Five? Five? Four. Four games of this year's Invitational have now been played as of release of this episode. They've all been spectacular. We're not recording this before we've basically seen none of them. We know that they're all wonderful games, and there's two more left coming up. This weekend, Saturday and Sunday, you can see the last two semifinal games of the Invitational, and then, I don't know, at some point we'll have the finals. That's always kind of the whole question in and of itself, isn't it? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And just to remind everybody, you have one more week to join the Patreon in order to ensure that you will be, in fact, invited to Tournament 5. That's right. The 5th. Space Cats Peace Turtles Patreon <laughs> Tournament, which will decide the fifth champion yeah. in the Wheel of Champions. And once we have six champions, we'll just have those six people play over and over. <laughs> you know what always feels weird is people come on the Discord sometimes and they're like, hey, where do I get information about next year's tournament? And I'm always like, oh, shoot. Should I just like, like, what kind of information do you want? What do you need to know? I can tell you. Right- I don't just like have. I need like a flyer. Yeah. What is the equivalent of like a flyer? in the digital age like where am i supposed to keep this stuff where is my where is this information where, what are people expecting to find i genuinely don't know <laughs> well we should make like a wiki there should be like a Just wikipedia a, wiki? A, spa- yeah. a space cats wiki or what what is it that people want that, i don't know that, they just want information they come on saying can i get information and it's like i don't know listen to the beginning of every episode that's going on right now that's the thing is this i just i so think of this as podcast first that i we just if we say things on here then the information is out there in my mind. And I forget that, like, that's not true for a People want to read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people want to read it later because well, they can just have it instead and of also, having to rewind this podcast. Yeah, exactly. And, and people want to, like, know, like, I don't know what the rules are or something. And it's like, oh, I don't know. You know, don't worry about that so much. It's just like the rules are what, like, the rules are the rules of the game. But then it's like, that's also not true, obviously. So it's like, I just right. make way too many assumptions. And, but, like, I just need a better spot to put the flyer up for everybody so that they just know exactly what they need to know. Listen, the real (laughs) truth is this. You're signing up to play some kind of Twilight Imperium (laughs) next year, okay? And you're basically crazy. Now, the the benefit this year is we don't have a thing where you might sign up in November and then play a game sometime in March or April. Yeah, we're (laughs) done with that. goodness, that's not the case. That's over. You should very much be expecting to play your game in January or February. Your first game will be that. If you get a buy... Yeah, it'll be like March. It'll be like March before your first game, I guess. Some people will still get the buy and will will wait a while to play their first game. But the vast majority will be in the qualifiers and will uh, those will go fast. We're hoping those go real fast. Uh, and then the and then the prelims this year go even faster because it's only 36 games and we should be able to knock those out 
real quick like so be prepared for the first two rounds of the tournament to happen in much more of a blur than you're used to compared to previous years yeah absolutely i'm excited um it's gonna be a big year for me since i'm winning this tournament <laughs> um i'll say this though what i i, I misspoke earlier uh -huh. um, about tournament five delivering us our sixth champion because i forgot we currently have five champions we have four regular tournament winners and then an invitational winner that's right but i have a hunch that maybe it will stay five <laughs> i don't know what that means throw that out just, there just I've, based, I've on a hunch. How, based on how things are going so far with i have a weird hunch <laughs> that we might still need the tournament five winner to have <laughs> six individuals what does that mean huh yeah, who knows mm. i don't know <laughs> i don't know but the pied pipers are calling me so i don't know we'll figure <laughs> it out i suppose uh hey i got a real episode for you today hunter and this one is kind of a this is like a this is like a me centric episode yeah. this is like an interview hunter's interviewing oh. me today yeah no, <laughs> i'm not even interviewing off. you now you're you're telling me about your toys essentially <laughs> you're walking me through your toy closet yep. and th showing me all the toys yeah. and i'm saying yes matt that mm, is cool mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. is that is very good matt i'll ask some some good follow-ups things like why and how <laughs> how dare you uh things like that uh well the first question i really have is um you know i i sort of took over the homebrewers guild this year but you had the homebrewers guild last year and we never really did this kind of an episode last year we weren't thinking of this kind of a thing but i feel like it's worth kind of getting your take on like how homebrewing as a project went for you you went way crazier than i did but i i'm just curious your takes on homebrew like what you thought about homebrew before doing a bunch mm -hmm. of homebrewers guild stuff and then what you thought about it after if, if anything changed before I started doing the Homebrewers Guild, yeah. I had a feeling like homebrewing was not for me. After doing the Homebrewing <laughs> Guild for a year, I realized that homebrewing is not for me. It's just, <laughs> I don't, I, I like coming up with my own ideas for homebrew. Mm -hmm. um, what I don't like is that like trying to tighten it into something oh, yeah. playable moment. Yep. That experimentation i think uh just takes too long and i blew through way too many ideas yes uh like way too quickly without actually trying to tighten anything up yeah but i actually thought it was just kind of fun to be really silly about it and For i sure. think there was a lot of comedy and just like look at how ridiculous all these ideas are let's yeah. just throw all the spaghetti at the wall right um but yeah so i, I it's it was kind of like i was down for it to be silly and crazy and I wasn't interested in doing the work of tightening it up. Right. Um, so in the end, I kind of felt like I it just wasn't really my bag. Right. Basically. Because how many times can you just like ask people to do the craziest thing? Then then you become Philroy. And, you know, that's that's a dark that's a dark place in Philroy's head, you know, of like how how deep can the homebrew grow? Sometimes I fear Philroy's machinations and how how I've seen Philroy's physical homebrew setup laid out on an entire pool table of just like nothing but homebrew everywhere. Listen, I think Philroy's all right. I'm just worried about that monkey puppet. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Philroy's chill. I mean, I think Philroy has pretty normal ideas, yeah. but have you heard that monkey puppet? That monkey's dark. That monkey. If if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should find out what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Uh, so my approach to homebrew this year was. A similar vibe which is to say we were both kind of we we tried to 
be a little bit a part of POK development, but Hunter and I both also sort of bounced off of like actually playtesting for the same reasons as the homebrew thing, which is like, it's fun to like just think of crazy new ideas, but the actual refinement, the actual development step, I don't like it. I don't like having to remember what little minor changes I I made or someone made or whatever. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel that same way about bold new ideas that then have to be like reined in and fine tuned or whatever. Um, I want to clarify something about playtesting though. Uh, it it's not that I wanted to participate more, uh, or that I didn't want to participate more in playtesting. I, mm -hmm. I I did absolutely want to participate more in playtesting, but I was afraid that because of the show, exactly, I was going to mess up something or get confused about something or let something slip. So I I purposely chose to keep my head in base game during playtesting. For the sake of the show. Yeah. I would have loved to have played more POK games when it was in development because I, I, I don't know. I thought that's, it was cool. Like yeah. having the, like the, the, and, and I mean, I think, I think Matt, you would have even played more POK uh, during development. Cause that was kind of how we had split it up is that you would focus a little more on POK and I would focus like, I keep yeah. focusing on base game. Right. Um, but if I remember that was kind of a crazy time for you in general. Well, yeah, it was post-baby. <laughs> it was like right yeah. post-baby. But either yeah. way, uh, it's still, though, for for me personally, was it's like I don't mind playing with the ideas and kind of theory crafting things, but the actual playing and having to remember like what this week's changes are or whatever, that's tough for me. So my approach to homebrew is a much lighter thing. I, I like just a little tiny dabbling of homebrew in my game to see because I can't take on that much information at once and actually parse it in a meaningful way. I need one change so that there's like as few variables as possible, right? If, if that's mm -hmm. what we're doing, if we are actually after some sort of development, then I need very, very little changing at any given moment to, to do that development or whatever. Um, right. And so what I categorized this year as was a desire to maybe work on some semblance of a like a tournament mode, whatever that would mean. And, and I don't know, the definition changed over the course of the year, but like, how can we keep the game feeling like rules is written TI, you know, I don't want it to feel like a wacky homebrew thing. I want it to feel like a game the diehards still want to also play, but refine things and tweak little, just turn little dials to sort of shake up some of the assumptions about the main game. And I think this stems from something you and I have always done, Hunter, which is like with our tournaments, every year we come up with like new maps and slightly different draft methods because we're just trying to alter the meta a little bit, try to change the mm -hmm. uh, the assumptions about the game, trying to encourage slightly different ways to play. I think that's, you know, fairly limited and especially our approaches in the past have just been like, here's a new draft that sort of just slightly encourages some different factions to make their way in there. Like my favorite one we ever did was tournament three, where we let like draft order be known from the get-go. So there was one person who was like incentivized to let really good factions through. And so then sometimes we would right. see, we'd actually see Clan Asar and stuff like that. Like that was the best time we ever actually implemented a thing that really shook up the kind of stats we would see within the tournament, right? Uh, every other year has had slight variations, especially just because people have learned the game. But we generally have these drafts that like, fall towards the middle of the pack and you see your your L1s and your baronies do really really well because they're just like strong but not threatening or whatever. Yeah, I don't know if we've seen barony do very very well in a right. long time. No, but I, I I get your meaning. It, it each each tournament 
sort of carries with it its own at some point there is an advantage in the data where somebody that's kind of in the middle overperforms. Right. And it yeah. almost feels like there should be some sort of scientific explanation or somebody uh, in the in the upper middle underperforms, right. you know, like uh, comparing uh, Titans in Tournament 3 versus Tournament 4 is night and day, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, as far as like how Same with Argent Flight, vice versa. <laughs> Argent and yeah. Titans basically flipped between those two tournaments of like doing crazy well for Argent and 3 and then just like didn't just didn't do it last year like really yeah. at all um so that's so far been our little light touches right especially because draft it's one thing and then you're just playing twilight Imperium, right there's no other changes to worry about and any other homebrew i've ever thought of my main thinking is like how can we just change one thing right at the start so that we don't have to constantly think about big changes that's why i don't necessarily always like um more bold uh, homebrews. Uh, here's an example. In the root community, in last year's Garrick's Winter Tournament, Garrick implemented a homebrew rule that changed a little bit about how one of the characters, the Vagabond, scores. He yeah. scaled it back and to try and even out because the numbers they were seeing was that the Vagabond was just way overperforming. Now, it's a tighter race in, in root or whatever, but we've always not really wanted to implement something like that, like a full-on rules change for a tournament and right. i've i still feel that way although i'm open it seeing how well it went with the root tournament really like opened my heart up <laughs> to the idea of maybe little because it's a very soft tweak that they did and so i'm i've opened my heart up a little bit to what potential very minor rules changes could we make to sort of shake the game up a little bit you know what they had though that i feel like we do not they had consensus on an issue. They didn't necessarily have yeah. consensus on how to solve it. I think that was gained later. Right. But they, from the very beginning, yeah. there was just an issue around the Vagabond that I think pretty much everybody... I mean, not obviously not everybody. Any issue like that is going to have your... <laughs> it's funny that every... That it's like agree, everybody but. except for exactly Cole and Patrick, the designers of the board game, were like, well, well we yeah, don't think I the mean, Vagabond... <laughs> their opinions don't matter, if you know what I mean. In this particular case, now we're in charge. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, I think there was a lot of consensus on the Vagabond thing. I don't know yeah. that you have as strong a consensus about any potential problems for Twilight Imperium. And I think that was part of the experiment of this year because i do think what i've wanted to figure out is there's something about competitive play that started to feel not stagnant to me but like we've been like narrowing down more and more our definitions of tempo and everything and like the importance of speaker order there's a lot of these things that like we're starting to notice just like how much of an impact they have and so i've started to think about like well what it what would be my goal if i was to do any sort of rules change like and, and that has changed a number of times. Um, sometimes it's like, I want less impact from just explicitly speaker order, right? Like sometimes I don't think speaker order feels very good in the final round. You just sort of like get the speaker token and then like the person next in line sort of benefits from it. It's a very weird system, right? That this one token that one person can gain control of affects the people not making any choices about it, right? Like the, the person sitting to my left benefits almost just as much from me taking the act of taking speaker that's always felt a little bit weird to me i don't know if i, I don't know your thoughts on speaker order really 
Um, yeah, honestly, I haven't been as convinced that it is like, I, I, I think it's absolutely important mm -hmm. and it's definitely something that like you should try to manage. Right. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not everything. Yeah. It's not your whole game. Right. You know, um, I think to kind of minimize the game to just being about speaker order is a little bit disingenuous. And I think, I think that like a if someone emphasizes that a lot in how they talk about the game, I think th m what I would tell that person is like, you just gotta, you just gotta try and work harder on the sleigh, on yeah. the wind sleigh, right? Because right. if you want to take this game to round six, you can get it there. You just gotta work for it, and right. you gotta be willing to do it. And also, you gotta make sure that everyone's not like too exhausted to go there, because yeah. that's something that happens a lot where people just get tired for sure and they don't want to play the late game because the mid game was too grueling people got to start saving their energy in yeah. the mid game these yeah. there, there are these games where people are like burning up all yeah. their late game energy <laughs> and it's like round three and it's like yo let's just get through this one buddy yeah. this yeah. is not where it's all gonna happen for you i would say that was another push i had in my head and one of my other like notes was was about i mean in base game we had round six more often than not. Um, round, round six was a standard uh, occurrence because we weren't really scoring round one. So the whole game was sort of delayed one round. Round sixes mm. were, were the old round fives of what we have now, where round five is generally where the game ends. Round six is like a long game now. And there was mm -hmm. a part of me that maybe missed that, especially with like how much tech you could accrue in a game, right? Like the tech got in both ways shallower but also like we talked about last week um you know it's it's shorter rounds but we also added a bunch of ways to get tech so it's been kind of an yeah. open question if you get as much if not more tech or whatever but it, to me it felt like the game would be really great if it still had more often round sixes but i want that without it being the like well round sixes is starting at hour 10 or whatever it's like how do we speed up how do we make the game go faster how do we speed up the mid game and make it to where round sixes can maybe still happen, but in the same amount of time that the round five game took or whatever. That was an early goal of this year's project, was thinking that round six mattered. We're gonna, I'm going to walk you through the story of this year, and you'll see that change. But I, I, to preface it, that was an initial idea. was like, I think I miss round six not being around so much, uh, and I, I'd like to see it come back. So let me get um, this straight. So one of your ideas for homebrew was to extend the length of the game. <laughs> To extend the round count without extending the length. That was the challenge. The difficult okay. challenge was to More make... rounds in the same time. Yes, because that's what we had at base game, was more rounds in rough about the same time, basically. But then, like, you know, exploration and all these round one things mm -hmm. made round one way longer. I mean, round one used to be, like, 30 minutes in and out. <laughs> There's not a lot of complexity. Just get your planets and move on. You, you can't, like, yeah. do crazy shenanigans. Whereas now it's... It's all about round one shenanigans, basically. Um, so uh, the only other thing, too, I was going for was trying to see what ways tempo could be shaken up. And this is less a goal and more just a thing I wanted to, to tinker with was like, you know, the tempo of objectives, the, the when we talk about bonus points, what does a bonus point mean to me? The like five stage ones, three secrets, one support, meaning you only need one bonus point. That f sometimes feels off to me, and I just wanted to see what ways that could be shaken up to to get new results and see if those results felt good at all. Um, so there, that was tried in a few different ways, 
uh, this year to sort of just to just to see what what if tempo could feel better. You know, sometimes we just like stick with what we have as written because it works. But I I wanted to play around in the space and see if there's not a better option, maybe. And I don't know that we found one, but we, we played with it. The last requirement of any of the homebrew I wanted to do this year was that it should be wildly simple. <laughs> it should yeah. be less than a single page of things to have to know. Ideally, less than that. It should be a couple sentences in my book of like what you need to know to be able to implement this homebrew because it should be a thing where like the the root example is it's called despot infamy and all the only change is that instead of scoring a point for every single thing that the vagabond kills it scores a point for the act of killing at one or more things in a single battle uh that mm-hmm. makes sense to root people it might not make sense to you if you don't know it but that that's like a, a big uh, change mechanically, but it's very simple to summarize. I can say that in right. one sentence, and that's the only change they basically made, which means it's incredibly easy for everyone to sort of rewire their brain and pick up on like right away. So yeah. that was like my absolute with a bullet number one requirement is that these homebrews always had to be very, very simple to understand. Um, so without further ado, Hunter, I'd like to walk you through my last year, my adventure in homebrew. Yeah, cool. I'm excited to hear about all these things that you did. <laughs> um, so first up was EJ's favorite, <laughs> which I think EJ's favorite was just in a theory crafty way. I don't think EJ has ever played a game this way. Nope. But nope. it was uh it's called four four four, and uh four 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 is taking uh an inversion on what is the standard five stage one public objectives, five stage two public objectives, and Mm -hmm. three secrets. And this is instead saying you change nothing about how these things are revealed and whatnot, but we're only going to actually lay out four stage one public objectives. We're only going to lay out four stage two public objectives, and then you're going to be allowed to score four secrets instead of just three. POK added so many secrets that we actually have like way more secrets than we need in base game you couldn't you three was absolutely the maximum of what could be possible in a six player game Um, but we have way more so you can you can do a lot more so four secrets four stage twos four stage ones that limits the total number of rounds by two however the standard number of rounds is nine we'll we've i've never seen that except for one time in a 14 point game and we didn't hit the the limit. We someone got to fourteen points, and it changes how quickly you get into the stage twos, and that's really the the key of this. Is by having one less stage one, we linger less long in just like that stage one world. We we get yeah. into while people's engines are still getting online, we start revealing stage twos, and this was the big shakeup for tempo. Right, this is the biggest thing to, in theory, change our understanding of that five, three support plus a bonus point. Um, and in this particular game that you can find on our YouTube, we also played to 12 points because a lot of people just like recommended that. Um, my biggest thing is I don't, <laughs> I did not like 12 points. I'll already get that out of the way. Just adding two more points to the whole game meant we needed even more stage twos, which meant that tempo thing, right? The, the four, four, yeah. like, not only am I already now relying on more stage twos, which actually isn't true, and I'll get into why in a second, but now you're like playing to 12 just absolutely forces me to have to score at least one stage two, basically no matter what. Yeah. 
And yeah, that that seems like a step back, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it seems like it would be a lot better. It, it's like if you add it, if you make it a 12 point game and the point was we were trying to speed up the tempo, right? You're kind of just evening it out. Exactly. And now it's like, what's even the point of, cha- of of doing this variant? It does push for that round six, but in no way is it actually speeding up the game. <laughs> so it's not you're getting the round six in a longer game and that's it. It's mm-hmm. just just a longer game across the board. And the other problem here is. Four Secrets actually throws off the math altogether anyways, because now we're just replacing one of our stage ones with a secret objective. Right. Right. We haven't. Ch- that's if that's eight points. Our stage ones and secrets account for eight points in either scenario, five and three right. or four and four, which really means like for a 10 point game, I'm looking for the same level of guac. So realistically, four, four and four, all it does, if you regardless of 10 or 12 points, it changes nothing about the pace of the game outside of the idea of adding stage twos earlier. And I think the biggest lesson this one taught me is that late game stage twos still feel bad. Uh, and and I don't like stage twos, and that's going to continue to be a trend. But at this point in the year, it was like, well, stage twos, just like, I just don't like that Like we play this game that's like dynamic with stage ones, and you sort of, you get two right away, and you're sort of thinking about which direction you want to go at this point. And then the second that first stage two comes out, it's like, you either have it or you don't. And that's it. That's the only question you can ask about a stage two, generally speaking, is like, you got it or you don't. It is so hard to just like, swing for a stage two especially in a game of like all competitive players so many good players can stop someone from scoring their stage two unless it's a stage two you just have in the bag which isn't any better mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean it's it's that's kind of the real challenge of the late game is can you make it so you're the only one that scores the stage two right yeah yeah do you like that part of it Hunter? i mean like how do you feel about just even in standard game how do you feel about stage twos? Um, I like round five. Yeah, I'm always hoping that round five is gonna happen sooner. I'm, I'm. Yeah. It's round three and round four that I got issue with. Right. Uh, that I take umbrage with. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I, I like round five. All right. I think there's some good stage twos and there's some bad stage right. twos. So the same is kind of true of the stage ones as well. Um, I think the best stage twos are the ones that are. Pretty tough for anybody to do, but anyone yeah. could possibly do it. Right. There, you're never going to get a stage two where like every single player has an equal shot at it. Yeah. Um. And, you know, I, I don't even know if you would want that, right? Like, I think it's okay if we hit round five and some players are like, all right, I don't have a path here because, you know, those players can quit if they want. That's okay. Um, it's a long game, you know yeah, what I mean? Right. Um, and sometimes it's just, it's not you, it's just this is how the game works out. <laughs> but you could also be in favor of the game going to six, to round six. Right. And like, that's an understandable position to be in. Right. And I feel like the more people are willing to accept that like, that's just the law of the land and that sometimes you're playing to win this round and sometimes you're trying to make it go another round. Yeah. I think the the happier people will be because it, it's going to make you feel better to play the game to win or not at all. Right. It, what's weird is when you just kind of play with uh, just kind of out in, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of yeah. playing here. Um, but, you know, it's 
as long as you have a goal, I think the game is great. Yeah. Um, in the late game, that is. I'm I'm more concerned about the mid game, to be honest. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's something four 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 definitely does, right? Uh, again, our failure was playing to twelve points, but if we had played to ten points, mm-hmm. round five becomes round four, right? That's yeah. that first stage two comes out, and our scoring tempo. There's been one less opportunity to like get imperial. But anybody who's double scored and has their bonus point, like, could win round four for sure, which turns round three into, like, singularly the mid game. Round yeah. one and two are early game. Round three is mid game. And round four onward, all it, like, constitutes as late game, kind of no matter mm-hmm. what happens, because you're, you're in the stage twos. You're in it. That's it. Uh, any, anybody could have a crazy swing if the, if the stars align or whatever. But, um, so I think the biggest mistake of that game was playing to 12 points. I, th- I think there's a, crew out there there's a there's a there's a sect of people that really like the 12 point game because um i think the any semblance of consensus about tempo is just the idea that 10 points for a lot of factions feels like they just completely get cut out of the mix so many people talk about things like arborek and like arborek is maybe better in those longer games um mm-hmm. i don't know if that's true or not i mean i i have to take people's word for it with and especially with regards to like 14 point games but um I, I don't think that this solution solves any of those problems. And if anything, it exacerbates them. Slow factions are like even worse here because we're talking about factions who need to be like ready to scorch stage twos by round four, right? Those right. are all the best ones suddenly. So if anything, this method like makes the faction disparity quite a lot bigger. <laughs> the really good factions are like even better they're just going to steamroll these factions that like need really specific things to get online a game that ends in round four is like terrible for sardak i would think in in a lot of situations and there's probably a number of factions that that falls under that's kind of the thing that's always concerned me about 444 yeah is if your solution is to kind of speed into the late game too quickly then i actually think that you will you will kind of polarize the like good and bad faction relationship and that maybe those bad factions that maybe need a lot of time in round three that doesn't feel like good time to be clear right like like what i'm saying basically is that round three and round four i think kind of suck a lot of the time yeah but maybe you need that time in order for sardak to get their ducks in a row or yin to get an economic fighting chance etc i I agree and so our next attempt was uh, trying to address that specifically, which I want to tell you about our ninth strategy card. But first, let's take a quick little break. Okay, so game number two, Hunter, was uh, we, we developed, we took a lot of time thinking about this one, but I knew I wanted a ninth strategy card. And very mm-hmm. specifically, this one was born out of a previous homebrew game. I played with a wild and wacky, uh, what was it? it? It was it was the strategy cards homebrew game that I played mm-hmm. in, in your year or whatever. And one of the homebrew things was a politics card, I believe, that added more objectives in throughout the game. It was essentially like a politics card where you draw and reveal a public objective. It was like if you Neat. had an incentive program, you had a possibility of incentive program yeah, yeah. every single round. And that felt really good, even though the rest of that particular game was like a really janky, wacky homebrew game. That one element was like, whoa, that was a fun little nugget. And there's also always just been people sort of murmuring about the idea of a ninth strategy card because, you know, I mean, we hate four and eight player game to a certain extent because we just don't like it when every single 
card is taken, right? That's that's right. sort of the flaw of it. And a ninth strategy card basically makes it to where there's like no player count where all cards are taken. Um, so that seemed like a boost. But more importantly, I specifically wanted a ninth strategy card that did what that other politics did. A ninth strategy card that also revealed more public objectives throughout the game. Now, that's a hard thing to balance. If you remember, like, uh, TI3 politics was, like, a really difficult to get right strategy card because it was like, yeah. we need something to do the agenda phase. But we also need, like, a reason for people to want that like it's very easy to just be like uh or we could just like not do agenda phases at all so like right you have to put a really good carrot on that stick uh for people to want to do it so the idea we came to was uh odyssey strategy card would look at one unrevealed public objective any of them you can look at any unrevealed stage one or stage two then you would reveal any public objective. It does not have to be the one you just looked at. You could look at one and be like, ooh, that's bad for me. I would not want to reveal that this round. So I'll just, I'll take my chances on this other one over here or whatever. Um, and so you reveal one of the set 10 public objectives. Now, the way this played out, of course, was like people were really trying to go for those stage twos as fast as possible, which personally felt amazing. Having a stage two come out in round two, like, made the game instantly feel way more dynamic because I think what I started to feel about all of this was the idea that I just don't like when stage twos come out. Like after I've already been working on all this other stuff, my game has taken this direction and then you're going to reveal this huge new goal I need to focus on. That's like why two and four colors is awful. But if two and four mm -hmm. colors was known in round two, there's actually plenty of factions that could push more for that and actually achieve it. But it's like, right. right now, because it's a 1 in 20 chance, well, I'm not going to go for that. I just hope it doesn't come up, I guess. And I just feel like a lot of stage 2s fall under that category of, I can't focus on that, and I just have to hope it doesn't come up. But if I could focus on that because I know I'll be rewarded, that could feel really good. So this was my favorite part of this strategy card. It's just that sense of, like, let's get more public objectives right away. It's not that stage 2s are bad. It's that the timing of stage twos is bad, maybe. Um, so the rest of the card was... We took a long time to figure it out because the whole thing of adding a ninth strategy card is the big problem of you take away like one of the other ones, right? The, the reason the five-player game is rough yeah, right. is because mm -hmm. in a five-player game, uh-oh, leadership like doesn't get taken <laughs> very often or whatever. Right. There's just one less critical economy being brought into the game. And so the idea was, okay, let's make sure the ninth strategy card tries to not do that. So we took inspiration from Nasroka and the, the ninth strategy card primary was that you get to perform the secondary ability of any strategy card. Played, unplayed, chosen, unchosen, doesn't matter. Oh, wow. Do the secondary ability and uh, spend command tokens from your reinforcements instead. So like, oh, leadership didn't get picked? You can still do the secondary of leadership this round. Oh, warfare didn't get picked? You can still do the secondary of warfare. That was part of the primary, is you just choose a secondary. Now, of course... I mean, it's like, well, I'll just do the secondary of Imperial and make sure I get those secrets going or like, I'll do the secondary. You know, there were some that were like, obviously the favorites, but there was still an opportunity to, to do the other things. And then the secondary ability of Odyssey was to essentially do the same secondary that the primary person chose. So it's just adding in a pop of a secondary for everybody, right? That was yeah. our solution. 
I'm here to report that that didn't feel so great. It didn't go so well. It was, uh, it still felt like a major economy was being left out of the game. And instead we were just like doubling down on secrets in tech or whatever. Or more yeah. importantly, it was like everybody diplos every round and we just always diplo and then whatever else mm -hmm. happens. But it's like if leadership didn't get taken, that just was still rough then. And very few people like, you know, the, the person holding Odyssey is very rarely going to choose leadership as their secondary which then means nobody is doing the secondary leadership which just means yes we didn't we didn't have tokens happen and that just leads to a game not feeling good the second leadership gets taken down a peg the game is worse i think kind of across the board yeah i think i think that's i think that makes sense i think the thing that you could really adjust there is like what number each ability is although yeah i i think that's been talked about too before and like can leadership be anything but number one right. as far as initiative order? I don't know that that's yeah. true. Yeah, but. and this being the number nine felt really weird. It's like, I think we all sort of thought, man, it it still feels like... Um, I, I remember coming away from that game being like, actually, I really do think it's like politics could stand to be reworked and and just like add this objective thing to politics. Like in on top of everything else politics already does. Like look at some agendas assign a speaker and look at and reveal a public objective and like that's a lot of power on politics maybe and so maybe other things would have to get turned around but i remember that's how i feel felt the main thing is the failure of this game was just that a ninth strategy card just is too much it just feels like mm. more than the game can allow eight is just such a perfect number for the six player game and maybe that's partly just assumptions but it's like the game feels better when we get to do most of these things um so i i think that was the core problem but then the other thing that came up was my assumption about stage twos still felt bad like honestly this is the game that sort of taught me like i think i just don't like any of the stage twos i think almost everything every single stage two would potentially be improved by being like one and a half of the stage one compared to being double the stage one most of the stage twos are double their stage one counterpart now hundred you were just saying in the 444 though you don't think that that would actually be you think if all the stage twos were too easy that might be messy or was that kind of what you were i just thinking? i just don't i don't necessarily like the idea of that the answer being like just make the game easier right because i think if the easier you make the game the more the better factions will Yes. overperform i feel like if, yeah if the game overall is easier then i think there's less wiggle room to to stop the 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 big ones right you know well, and that was so definitely true in this game right not only are we revealing stage twos which there's some factions that are just really good at state like are just better at stage twos so they're gonna do insanely well uh not only that but we made a game type where the factions you know how we in faction guides talk all the time about factions that like can afford to just take politics because they don't need all of these other strategy cards to mm -hmm. be taken well we made that doubly true because we took an entire strategy card like off the radar potentially like there's one less thing even being chosen so the factions that just like are good do even better because there's a lot of factions that like absolutely rely on catching up because tech is getting picked every round and leadership is getting picked every round and all those kind of things like they they need those economies to stay uh, static so that they can even be relevant and if you take one of those away they just fall apart as a weak faction yeah i mean i i think that makes sense it's like it's tough to know what to do like i i think i actually think that 
if, if I if I had been working closer with you on this, I think it would be like maybe the goal should be for the game to be harder and tighter yeah. and also shorter yes. somehow. Yeah. But uh, this feels a little bit like trying to make the game easier to me, yeah. which I, I I think will kind of backfire. Yeah. I, I I think that's exactly why it did backfire. Um the other side effect that I I thought would be cool about this that didn't fully pan out. I think the other failing part of this experiment was the idea that, you know, you potentially double the amount of publics that get drawn every round, right? Like, we're just drowning in public objectives by, mm -hmm. like, round three even. Um, especially in the world where if we if we did get rid of the ninth and assign this ability to, you know, the three, to politics or whatever, now we're, like, definitely doing that every single round. And what it turns into is that the game is over 100% at the end of, I think, round five, or maybe it was, like, even, like, action phase round five, the game can just end because you have no more objectives to reveal. You're supposed to reveal right. one. It's not there. Imperium Rex, game is over. Um, right. And so, you know, that would obviously be a scenario where, like, every stage two that was coming out was just bad and nobody had the bonus points to, like, make it work. Um, that's probably rare because the stage twos, you have a lot of them. <laughs> By, like, round three, you're already got, like, three or more stage twos depending on what people do. Um, but again, that made it like you're saying, I, I think that was the feeling is we just made this easier, not necessarily m more dynamic or interesting in any way. It just literally made the game easier. And that's why it went faster is because we made good factions better. If players can see m like multiple objectives every single round, then what that means is it's that much harder to stop a player yes. if you're trying to stop someone exactly. because they have more options. Exactly. In fact, I would say most of the time, like, why would you bother stopping a player that could just dedicate their time to another? Right. Like, you're literally now, it also can make things more of a stall fest because you're yep. going to have to stall to make, to wait until a player fully commits to one and only one yep. victory point <laughs> that they can score. And then after they've fully committed to that, only then can yep. you try and stop them from scoring that round. Yeah. It just sounds sounds like a lot. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. That what that was the problem. Um so the next attempt was sort of a reaction to that, which was to say, okay, the problem is not actually tempo. Like Matt, you've been thinking about this as like a tempo problem this whole time, and it's really not tempo like tempo works and tempos that's what makes the game strategic is like how well can you play against tempo um but instead of trying to um just mess up tempo all i wanted to do then was to try and add more potential uh dynamism more more variety potential because what mm -hmm. felt the best about the ninth strategy card was just that Stage twos were getting introduced early, and that was like, I have options of things I can do rather than like, I have to do exactly these five public objectives, and if I don't do the five public objectives, I'm just sort of like out or whatever. Um, I wanted more opportunity for potential swings. The example of this in Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition was these beautiful things that we've talked about in the past called artifacts. And artifacts were little uh, points on the board that you could hold, but you could lose that planet and thus lose that point, which meant people were capable of swings kind of any round of the game and it was a advantage for military factions that like were struggling to keep up with the economic uh bent of the public objectives a lot of the public objectives very much in you know encourage a sort of cold war aspect and there's very there, there's not as much like really flex your muscle i don't think that's as true in, in fourth edition to be clear i mm -hmm. mean there's there's plenty of objectives that are 
control objectives. You got to have have physical might or whatever. But the idea we thought of was to do our own version of artifacts. And realistically, the pitch of artifacts was just this: What if Tomb Infidia? What if Tomb of Infidia was like good? And there were more things like that because to, when Tomb of Infidia comes out, it's kind of exciting in the game. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, there's like a point out there if you if you can get it, if you can go out there and get it, it's it's there. But it's always you know like sort of too late by the time both Tomb and Crown are out. And then of course the scoring is the problem of Tomb of Infidia. It scores like after everything else, which then generally is like too late or whatever. It's just a weird thing. But like hot potato points was the idea. Like why don't why not? A few more chances at hot potato points, because that's always the spiciest thing that happens in any tournament game. Oh my gosh, Seed of an Empire came up, Mutiny, uh, Shard of the Throne. Those are the things that mm-hmm. like really shake up a game. So it was like, how can we minimally introduce some more opportunities for bonus points? It's not tempo that's the problem. Maybe it's just that bonus points are like too few and far between, and that's what sometimes makes tempo feel really really on rails and what if there's just a little bit more way to disrupt the available tempo of a given game so we got spicier this is i would say the furthest we went in terms of like actual homebrew this was like to implement this into like an actual tournament would be pretty weird uh because like we're just like completely putting in new mechanics but what was nice about them is what we did is we took and we added a single card to each exploration deck which meant even within a single game, you know, it's got whatever chances it has of even coming out. It's just part of exploration. We hit those cards or we don't. Now, we played a game where we were going to encourage this to happen. So it was like Nasroka and Titans and all these, you know, exploration-focused factions. Empyrean mm-hmm. were in the game. We tried to make sure that these things really hit. And um, I, I liked this game. However, the hardest thing about this one and the biggest failing of this one is Boy, howdy, it's incredibly difficult to balance <laughs> these things. We're, we're now in the territory of introducing new mechanics, which then means we're doing the thing that we did last year, which is like, oh, let's see if it's even works or makes any sense. It's completely right. off the wall. So mm-hmm. this is the one where if we ever tried to implement something like this, it's just so, like, it would take a lot of testing to make sure it's going to work right. But, uh, Hunter, I'd love to introduce to you the four uh, exploration cards that we did implement and uh, maybe you'll see where we went wrong with some of them. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of them on the nose is like oh, uh, I see the pro- I see your problem right here, sir. Uh, I got a feeling it will be evident. <laughs> yeah. The first one is the Hazardous Explorer uh, and it is Ancient Abomination. All all three of the planet explorers are attaches. They're, they're new attachments that stick on right. the planets. So Ancient Abomination attaches to its Hazardous Planet and it says when you gain control of this planet, place your four mechs on this card. So they're no longer in your reinforcements. Your mechs are on this card. They're no longer on the map. They're on this card is where your mechs go. Right. If you lose control, remove your mechs. Uh, that's just to say, you know, if you lose control of this planet, you get to have your mechs back. They're not just... This is the one that's the most drowned in, like, let's make sure uh, it's mechanically sound and that all the dots are you know the eyes are dotted and whatnot uh anyways the real mechanic is this at the end of your turn you may begin a ground combat on this planet uh against these mechs as if they were another player so i get to fight against my four mechs as if they're a different uh, player if you win the combat gain one victory point and purge this card 
If not, put your four mechs back on this card. For every mech you destroy, if you fail the attack, the mechs respawn and come back. So it's this huge ancient abomination, this sort of Arborekian sort of mm-hmm. horrible thing growing up out of the earth, uh, and you can fight it, and if you kill it, you get a point. But uh, I don't know, Hunter, how hard do you think that point is to do? <laughs> uh, it, sound- it sounds impossible because it's taking your four mechs. So yeah, I, four, if I four mechs. You need like you need like nine to twelve to fifteen infantry to accomplish this task. Yeah, no, no, no. That's not. <laughs> that's not possible. Yeah. What's hilarious is uh, this is the only one of the three that was scored in our game. I will say wow. that much. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Do you get to use bombardment? Uh, yes. Uh, okay. Is that right? I don't remember. I, we, we may have eventually allowed it or something. Or maybe it was the L1 player that did it because the L1 player definitely gets to use Bombardment because it's part of their hero ability or something. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. But um, but yeah, this one is wildly difficult. Obviously, you could scale it back. Um, but the idea, of course, of this one is it's not a hot potato point. It's similar to Tomb. One person can score it, but once it's scored, that's it. You, you got yeah. it. But it's like a big, yeah. tough challenge to do. But if you get that in your slice in the early game, again, it's exploration. A lot of these things come up right away. So you know whether or not this is a challenge you have for the game. So it's just right. like you can look at the face of it and be like, there's a bonus point right there if I can ever make it happen. It was way too difficult. It would have to be balanced to find that right delicate little spot where it's just enough infantry or mechs or what whatever it needs to be. I don't know. But that would be the challenge of that one. Um, but mm-hmm. I also liked it being a boon for ground combat factions right arborek could actually probably get a swarm large enough to take this on uh you right. know and it's probably a boost to like soul and some other factions too but like it just seems like you know it's, it's not too bad for sardak probably the next one is our cultural planet and it's called hot couture uh and it is an attachment where if you control wait wait, wait sorry how is that word spelled hot I- what it, it's H A U T E C O U T U R E. Couture. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I love it. This was a Wecker uh, implementation, I believe. Um, if you control more cultural planets than any other planet trait, gain one mm-hmm. victory point. If at any point you control more hazardous or industrial planets than cultural, or if you lose control of this planet, lose one victory point. So this one is a hot potato point. You can either take the planet from that person, but the only way you actually score it is if you have like a very specific balance of your traits. So there's two ways to take this point from someone. You can take that planet specifically from them, or you can take one of their culturals away, thus turning their culturals to be like in line with their hazardous or whatever. This one never got scored because, uh, I don't know, it's also super weird and nobody wants to sacrifice just like giving up a bunch of planets or whatever for a single bonus point, or at least that's how it worked out in this particular game. Nobody wanted to even go for it, is what happened. Yeah, I'm not even really sure I understand. So, like, I, I thought it was just that if you have more cultural planets than other types, yeah, then you just have it. You just have that, that point. But it can be taken away from you if you go down. Like, I have three culturals, two hazardous, two industrial. If yeah. you'd knock me down to two culturals... I lose the point because now I have right. my, I don't have more culturals than my. But then other if two I get traits. back up, but if I get back I up, I get that point again. again. Exactly. All right. Yeah, I yeah. didn't think this one was that hard, but we never scored. Nobody ever scored it. Nobody went for it. That was the problem. Was for some of these, it was such an investment that people just didn't even 
try. Like, depending on your slice, right? If you get this one, yeah. and you have one cultural planet in your slice, that's just, that's as dead as Tomb of Amphidia when Crown of Amphidia is on the other side of the table, or whatever. It's like, right. this is nothing for me. It will never be anything for me, so who cares? That's kind of how this one felt. Dang. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. The industrial one was Historic Site Reconstruction, and this is another, um, you're gonna do it once, and then the point is yours forever, but can you cross the finish line? Style right. points. So the attachment is during your man reading these now it hurts <laughs> during your turn you may pay up to three commodities and or trade goods to add an equal number of trade goods to this card if a unit uses bombardment if a unit uses bombardment not not scores hits if a unit uses bombardment remove all trade goods from this card then the card itself has an action of remove 15 trade goods from this card to score one victory point and purge this card. But every time anyone uses bombardment <laughs> yeah. anywhere or on, on that, that planet? planet, that one planet, on that planet. Okay. <laughs> what is that even? What is that even thematically representing? I don't understand. Yeah. I, it's historic re site reconstruction. So the idea is you have this thing where you have to just like constantly invest money it. Okay. into it. You're just yeah. you're just pumping money into this project. And but if you could if, ever but if there's finish bombardment, it, yeah. and it's like destroying right. it, and you have you to restart start over. over. Yeah, it's yeah. a very expensive um, project. Obviously, using bombardment was no good. It should have been scores, uh, kills a unit, right? It should have been similar to uh, being able to like use mechs to block it or whatever. Like If you can get a bunch of mechs there, then you can protect this long enough. Also, three commodities was way too long. It means it takes, not only does it t cost you 15 trade goods Ugh. to even score this point, but three per turn. So you have to just sit there and funnel money like over and over and over and over again. Ugh. I would say it either needs to be like nine total. So it's still like kind of a lot, but then three per turn and people can, or it needed to be like, yeah, it's still 15. It's still a lot, but you can do like up to five or something just to shorten the amount of time you have to sit there and hold onto that planet. I don't know. Um, but the reality is nobody wanted to spend a single dime on this. Not a single trade good ever touched this card because people were just like, or I could focus on my normal other bonus points and just score right. like a normal right. person. <laughs> yeah, I think this one could have been interesting. Had I love the theme of it, actually, now that I understand. Um, but yeah, I, th I think this one could have been workshopped down yeah. to like something more reasonable and then maybe it would have gotten some use. I don't know. Yeah. Hard to say. The last one is our Frontier card. So, of course, it's not attaching itself to a planet, but it did basically attach itself to the system, a la your Ion Storms or your Malice. Uh, so you place this card in the system. All players have plus two movement when this is the active system. So everyone can get here. Everyone yeah. just can, is able to make, like, from almost anywhere on the map, most players can get to this system, especially depending on wormholes. And it's like an empty system, so it's like it could end up in the empty alpha or whatever. That was the big sure. thing yeah, with yeah. our game is this one showed up somewhere, and it was like, uh, everybody can reach this from their home system, <laughs> turns out. Uh, anyways, if you have your flagship or war sun in this system, you gain a victory point. If your flagship or war sun is removed from the system, you lose a victory point. There's a little bit of mechanical jank. The obvious intent is outside of combat. Like, two people having their flagships there isn't going to count. But outside of that, hey, you need to build your flagship and you need to put it over there. And everyone can come and get it. Uh, right. This one was the most interesting because this actually, like, upset the board state, did something. You know, someone got this right away and then they had to hold it or completely give up and not want to get their flagship sniped or whatever. 
Um, it had that added benefit of like getting more flagships on the board. So then someone trying to destroy their greatest ship like had ample opportunities to try and score that secret or whatever. Um, yeah. This was my favorite of the four and was actually the one that saw the most. I think the plus two move is way too much. Maybe plus one move to get into it. But the idea that literally anyone from anywhere could get into that system at any point in the game. Yeah. Really threw it out the window. Yeah. So that's that's fun. It's got a really fun theme. Uh, it's a king of the hill, right? Basically, yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, that's that. I don't know. That's that's a little too. <laughs> it's like too punchy. It's gonna change yeah. hands too many times right, for it right. to even be relevant. Hard to know? keep track of what's even happening. Well, and there's a certain aspect of like you actually need to just like not go for it until it's your final point because it's too much of a exactly. risk to keep your flagship in there because then you got to rebuild your flagship and get it back in there again or whatever. Yeah, there's no reason to lock that down unless you're like barony with an ES and duranium. Right. Um, so yeah, so we played that game, uh, with those four, they all four hit the table because again, we were, we made sure of it basically. Um, but the biggest feeling was, well, a, what would this feel like in a game without <laughs> making sure they all come out or whatever, you know, what do the games look like when only one of these ever comes out? It felt like a fun, goofy thing, but it absolutely did not feel like in the direction of, how do we take tournament games up to the next level, right? This this mm -hmm. was this was properly homebrew compared to yeah. I think what the in initial intent of the project even was. Yeah, I honestly kind of question the goal a little mm -hmm. bit at this point, Matt. I would say that homebrew probably makes more sense if you focus on making components that are going to just be fun. Yeah. Not even like who cares about the competitive space. Sure. Just make stuff that's fun. And then if it's fun, then it can maybe even be tightened into to competitive. Yeah. But I would say of all those ideas, the only one that sounded fun to me was that last one. The other yeah. sounded like a little too interested in like the nitty gritty of Twilight Imperium first and foremost. But like, there's got to be an idea that just sparks, yeah. you know, that's like, Ooh, this is just like, this is just interesting. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you about the best of the things that we played then, because this last, this last area is where things really started to feel uh, very good. And I'll say at the face of it, it's, it's another like homebrew thing. So it's very much in that category of like, we are talking about, uh, maybe more focus on fun than the serious game. Although I will say in both of these situations, these are actually two different games that were played um, in both situations. I, it, it felt really, really right. And, and here's the, the main point of the, what we did. <clears throat> we played with new agenda decks. And I think a, just from like a game standard thing, it's kind of a great area to play around with because yeah. who, who's, the agendas are like no one's darling, right? Like who among yeah. us is like, oh, don't mess with that perfectly constructed, perfectly balanced agenda deck. Nobody yeah. is out here thinking that. Um, so if we're going to start tweaking anything, I mean, that was like one of the first things you and I tweaked in Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition, right? Is we found a thing online that was like, hey, here's a way scaled back set of agendas. Throw all the chaff out and just play with the hits. And that was how right. we always played 3rd Edition. Yeah, just with yeah. the hits and yeah. both of these uh, things. One of them is Absol's agendas, 
And the other is General Pith's Pax Legitima expansion, like homebrew expansion. Um, both of them focus primarily on updating the agendas and making that not only just more interesting, but specifically within the design of the agendas, a lot of my little things that I was trying to do in all of the other homebrew attempts, those things are able to be addressed, but in a still sort of dynamic doesn't come up every game every game feels different while not mm -hmm. feeling imbalanced or broken or like you're just doing stupid meme stuff both of these agenda decks i recommend i recommend either of them to anybody who wants to try this stuff out they are like carefully considered agendas um absol's agendas is i believe 60 agendas still it's still quite a lot but her main focus was making sure that every single agenda had weight. And the main thing is she got rid of all against no effect. Right. And not only that, yeah. she changed the rules slightly for agendas where effectively abstaining is equivalent to voting against. Uh, the Her biggest actual like full-on rule change is if all six players abstain, then it is an automatic vote for by the speaker. It just passes. If everyone abstains, it will pass, which means someone has to vote against if you want it to go against. You, there, There is no sense of you can just sit aside. And a lot of agendas have specific wording in them where it's like, if you vote against or abstain, you suffer the consequences of this thing or whatever. So it turns abstaining into an active part right. of agendas. Right, right. It's, it's correctly identified that there's... Uh... There's not that many, but there's a, there's a few agendas where abstaining is really uh, smart, and I'm right. I hope you can hear the air quotes. <laughs> it's smart in that it's the right thing to do strategically, but it feels contrary to the theme, yep. and that's when the yeah you know what you're absolutely right that the agenda phase is where we have the most tension between thematic gameplay yep. and strategic. Thinking. And yep. those loopholes need to get closed. And I'm right. talking about Rider City. I never. <laughs> Absolutely. I think Rider City is like the worst thing in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, all of Abs, you know, I can't say I'm not going to sit here and read all of them. There's there's 60 of them. But she's adjusted. Uh, she's made there also more instances of the thing where it's like the player that cast against does this. Blah, blah, blah. She also in a lot of the agendas puts in a sort of ranked thing if you can think about Game of Thrones board game for a second, there's mm -hmm. a, we made it pass, but the person who made it pass the most gets a little extra spice to Ooh, it. Ooh, yummy. That is yeah. a big part of a lot of these agendas as well. That's cool. And my favorite part of Absol's agendas is at least the ones we saw were like all on the, what's a good, like all on the Minister of Warfare quality impact like every agenda that passed was like whoa that this changes everything about how we yeah. think about it. it was cosmic encounter sort of introductions into the game where instead of shaking up the tempo in any meaningful way we've shaken up the potential of the 
actors at the table and yeah. so the the meta in the final round was not just about oh it's speaker or it was like well so and so over there has this absolute god tier power that we mm -hmm. have to carefully consider and that's going to be different next game but it's going to be a different ridiculously overpowered thing she put so much strength in the agenda deck where not only mechanically can you not ignore it but within the game, you can't ignore the impact of the agendas you all have passed. Yeah, this is exciting. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I think that this is a lot better to play with yes. than than tempo or speaker order. Because really, we don't I don't think we actually have a problem with tempo or speaker order. What we have right. a problem with are all those games where someone wins because they are speaker and the stage two was easy. But the only reason that's a problem is because it there was a, a situation created in the game where someone was unstoppable. Exactly. So just give players more opportunities yep. uh, to do basically anything. Right. And I think you have a better chance of of fixing I mean, not that I don't think there's anything wrong with Twilight Imperium for the record. I think sure. I think there are there are moments that the game creates every once in a while that I'm like, eh, that's gross. Like yeah. Rider City is bad, but how often does it happen? I mean, right. it's like Very once rarely. in a blue moon. But when it happens, I'm like, well, this is bad. Like yeah. the game is being naughty and has created a bad outcome. And if you don't, actually, I'll clarify because I've said that a couple times and I know we're always getting new listeners. Rider City is, there are just a few situations where a card can come out like elect law like the 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 card that allows you to, to elect a new law to be um either discarded or re-voted on right and sometimes there's only one law which means there's only one outcome which means there's only one thing to vote on and you can throw writers on it endlessly and right. there's no way to stop it except for a sabotage and that feels bad that feels wrong it shouldn't yes. be in the game exactly um uh so absol's agendas was a fun variant that just felt like holy cow there's a lot of power there i will say uh the the one thing to it that would require more playtesting to know but obviously there's just there's that homebrew aspect of like how many of these agendas are completely out of whack like you know if if so and so gets their hands on this thing like is the game just actually over because we put right you know if sar gets a crazy powerful agenda obviously that's why it's great that it's in the agenda phase though is ideally there's enough people to like prevent one person from running away with it now i don't know how that handles new extra i think new extra would have to change like we can't have extra <laughs> that just runs Matt, we, away no, Matt, with Matt, agenda Matt, phases Matt. if we the just, agenda phase no. i know hush we just changed I know. extra nah we well, can't let's change it again changing it again <laughs> all right we can't do that yeah anyways That's that was the big concern for me. We did not play these games with Extra because I did not want to know what would happen if Extra could just like decide exactly what happens in agenda phases and gain all of these superpowers. Uh, but that was the fear with Absol's agendas. I'll also note Absol changed political secrets as well and made them like less kind of useless and, and silly. Um, it what was, do they do now? Uh, when you cast votes, you may exhaust up to three of so of the green players' planets. You exhaust their planets for them and cast additional votes equal to the combined influence of the exhausted planets. So you steal someone's votes. You can, add, you know, if, if the turn order is correct, I can just nab your votes from you and, and do them in, in my favor. What, what, That's what cool. I want. Yeah. 
I think a little like bit, yeah. a little bit more interesting to sell. You might not care about your votes so much and just let them be completely someone else's. It still suffers from that thing of like, like political favor, where it's like, okay, or I could just like let you have my votes when it matters, rather than selling you this ahead of time. I don't, I don't know how sellable it is. Um, but the last one to cover is our most recent one, which is just another primarily focused on agenda phase change. There's some more stuff to it, and honestly, General Pith is has even more ambitions. Um, they are trying to add like factions and stuff but what's great about what they have so far is you don't need to have that stuff like this is a great little minor expansion and you could just take it with just this aspect of it um and there's little things being retooled uh within it you know there's they are trying to add maybe more than is necessary but i think the face value of what pax legitima does is incredibly interesting and doing a lot of the same things that absol's agendas do and i'll get to what my favorite part and why i think it's worth bringing up is uh the the thing with pax legitima's setup is it's taking and reducing the agenda deck down a lot i think there's like 20 total actual agenda cards and in this thing they're called generic agenda cards these are the public agendas if you will and mm. there's only 20 of them right now the thing with those agendas is consider the idea that only the second agenda of each agenda phase is a generic agenda card. So of the 20, you'll only see, what, four, four to five agendas per game, maybe? So there's only 20 of them, and they're all, like, big impact, right? These, these are just take, a lot of them are, like, essentially the same agendas, but, like, think of the best 20 agendas you can possibly think of, and that's what's right. in this new generic agenda deck. Then the part that this gets really homebrew, but is a really fun idea, is twofold. There is a specialty agenda deck, of which there are five uh, traits, if you will, five categories. Um, so there's six bureaucratic agenda cards. There are six scholarly agenda cards. There are six clandestine, six militant, and six mercantile agendas. They're in these very specific categories. And the other cat, the other thing is you have faction agenda cards. This is like the homebrewiest of the homebrew, but the wow. idea is every faction at the start of the game puts one of their agendas into or puts their agenda into this specialty agenda deck, and uh, all of them are basically soup up so-and-so to this next degree like it's literally just like this is good for argent and kind of only argent you want to boost wow. argent up wow. and the way they get away with this is when someone takes custodians the person who takes the custodians uh token chooses the class of that galactic council i'm a mercantile race i choose the mercantile deck so now our specialty agenda deck is six mercantile cards and the six faction cards. There are only 12 cards in this deck now. And for the rest of the game, that's what we're using. The other, the other five just literally, or other four decks get set aside completely. They're not in this game. There's a couple small ways that someone could take control and, and change the deck. There's like an action card that lets you change which of those five decks you use. But mm -hmm. it's not whoever controls Mechatol, it's whoever takes Custodians, and that sets it for, like, the rest of the game. And the other big thing here, and my favorite part of this whole edition, and the thing I would want to take the most away from it is, so these specialty agenda cards are the first agenda of every single agenda phase. 
but it is basically face up public info of what is in this deck and the speaker chooses the agenda no matter what the, the speaker looks at these 12 cards and says yeah. i want to do this one which is why the faction agendas make sense because it's like i'm argent i'm sitting on a lot of votes now is my time. I can put the Argent thing forward and I might be able to get it to pass or whatever. But I get to right. pick. And there's a little bit of consensus too. It's like we're all looking at this deck. Hey, y'all, we, we had a moment in our game where Seed of an Empire was in our deck and we were like, is it is it time? Should we just seed? Y'all want to seed? All right, cool. Let's do a seed. Everyone, oh, okay, yay, let's do a seed yeah, real yeah, quick. Yeah. And we yeah, just yeah. went for it. Um, but the absolute coolest bonus of it was that fact of how much power it gives to that speaker token where basically what happened is... uh. I don't think you can sell that speaker token anymore. I think you need to keep that speaker token because right. you get to control an agenda. You get to uh, have speaker order position. Like it was funny because my original assumption about all this homebrew stuff was like, I think speaker order is kind of bad. And my favorite solution is, well, what if we made it even more dangerous? <laughs> like what if we made it even mm -hmm. crazier where there's less speaker order shenanigans of selling it around to then just sort of like isolate control of the speaker token the whole game it was like no no seriously whoever takes politics is taking that speaker token and it's going to go wherever it goes but that doesn't make politics like a top pick because it's still a chance of these agendas and stuff but it's just right. like whoever ended up with politics got a really nice power out of it yeah it's funny, I, I had an idea a long time ago that this reminded me of, uh, which is this is way less than introducing a new agenda deck, but I once thought that it would be kind of cool if um, the way the politics strategy card worked was first you assign a speaker, and then you draw two action cards, and then the speaker draws two agenda cards and puts one on top and one on bottom. <laughs> if you sell the speaker, you yeah. don't get to do the agenda right. card part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what this. With, that's basically what this is, isn't it? I mean, it's 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 like on a delay of that, but yeah, you're 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 choosing one of the agendas later by being speaker, essentially. Right. Right. Yeah, I just think it's like kind of a bit rich that you're like, here's the speaker token, and then you look at the agendas. Like yeah. that just seems kind of like right. weird. Th this is on a whole nother level though, because this is kind of taking the speaker and making it even more powerful with you just choosing exactly the agenda to yes. play. I mean, that's. Right. That's kind of a big deal. Well, I kind of, the thing I don't like about that is how much you might get players making the same correct yeah. decision every right. time. And you might just see the same agendas over and over exactly. because we tend to do that. You right. know, we right. tend to like chase the absolute best option yes. at the expense of everything else. So you right. see a lot of repeatable play. I, oh, I, I agree. Know. And that, that certainly would be, again, with both of these options, similar to the artifacts option, it's like, we're introducing new mechanics, which then means we actually need like full on development of those things to make sure they're not busted in new ways we haven't thought of or whatever. Um, right. So all of that comes down to it's like the experiment started with like, let me I mean, you know, the, the very first one, 444 is like barely doing anything. It's literally just changing sort of the objective rollout, but it's not even homebrew mm -hmm. at that point. It's just sort of like a barely different thing. And it's the one I liked the least. And right. over the year. I liked the homebrews that changed your assumptions about the game without getting too wacky, without messing with something that felt darling. The agenda phase does not feel darling to me. It feels like an area the game could be drastically improved on. And yeah, I just feel like there's a part of me that came away with like, okay, maybe the, maybe the tournament mode dream doesn't really track because the thing that I'm after isn't in 
keeping with like what would need to be required for an appropriate tournament mode for it to be right. so simple the the maybe strange problems i have with ti which it's hard to even call them like problems but the things i would change about twilight imperium if i had my designer hat on are require bigger things than just like shaking up one little win condition or whatever so yeah. i think overall it, like the project taught me a lot and showed me that like what i was after was sort of a flawed concept all around yeah i mean who wants to design like who wants to work on tournament twilight imperium <laughs> stuff let's just work on twilight imperium stuff yeah. that's what i say right. like just think about it in terms of ti i don't think that you know those tournament people they don't deserve any more than what they get you know what i mean <laughs> like we don't need because uh, also at the same time like even if you find something really good, you have to build so much consensus yep. in order to get people on board with something in a competitive right. arena. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a lot of convincing. It's got to be something really, really agreeable. Yeah. I think to get you know people on board enough for it to be tournament ready. Yes. Um, but you know, there's always. There's always the codices, you know? I mean, there's <laughs> well, a lot that could get done via yeah. codex, you know? Can I pitch you on my next idea of what I would want to see for, like, a potential continuation of this idea and, and sort of learning from what I've learned? Uh, my, I don't my... know, Matt. Here, wait. Let me check something real quick. <laughs> okay. So, let's see. Um, I'm going to open up patreon.com slash turtles. <laughs> And let's see. Okay, I'm looking at. We got some polls here. Uh huh. Um, let's see. So oh, there there's an interesting are... thing coming up. Is that what you're about to tell yeah, me? Yeah, I see something on the radar here. It's blipped up on my radar. Okay. Um, and it's coming up. In fact, oh, whoops! Yeah. I accidentally just voted for it <laughs> on our official. Whoops! I didn't mean to. We're actually not supposed to vote. I don't know how to take the vote off. I can just you change can't. my. Vo I'm sorry. I I. I didn't mean to do that. Wow, well, um, you changed the outcome of the election. Now. Wow, um, I'm, I'm election gonna... fraud, and you're hearing it here. Listen, live. we'll just if it if it's close, if it's close between the one I'm looking at yeah. that is currently winning. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking, you know, maybe maybe it. whatever you were about to say might be unlocked with your good patronage, <laughs> listeners. Perhaps that next we're gonna paywall that yeah. comment. Uh -huh. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, you might you, you might not get it. No, I yeah. Let's let's hold it for that one because I do think it's an appropriate topic for our yes. upcoming Codex Four wish list uh, of yes. what my what my next little minor idea is because I think it fits within the Codex uh, vibe basically. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, let's do that. Um, so there you go. I don't know. I don't know. It's funny to have this whole thing end up being like. So I guess I failed. <laughs> I mean, obviously I didn't. I didn't fail, but like. I didn't find the answer I was looking for, like, kind of at all. Um, and I feel like probably you knew that was going to happen the whole time. I think you always knew that whatever I was after was like, I don't know that it makes any sense, uh, Matt. But you know what? You go have your fun, little boy. Uh, that was... Well, <laughs> it's like any good science. You know, you, you, you do an experiment, it fails, and then you do another one, and it fails. And then you do a third one, and it fails. And then you do a fourth one, and it fails, and then you're like, that's enough for a year, I yeah. guess. <laughs> and you're like, maybe it's everyone else who was wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's everyone else who was wrong. I, Matt, I wouldn't worry about it too much. We got a whole game to play, you know. I mean, yeah. like, just... 
just see just see what you can find out there you know <laughs> maybe someday twilight imperium will be a game you're interested in playing maybe. you know like ah, i wouldn't hold my someday. breath yeah i don't yeah i don't think so yeah but there is a chance if we can just tweak it in yeah. all these little ways maybe we can get it down <laughs> to something you'd like Anyways, I'd like to thank the people who pay us. There are weird bears, Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamishimu, Brassbird, Kalu, and Jadim Jedi, Carnal John, Necrodice Twice, Kindred Spirit, Alice, Lord Raddington, Old Man G.I. Bagels, M. Lashevsky, Sunfax, Absol, Ricky M44, Rwise, Wecker, and W.H. Chismar. And I want to thank Mama's lovely larva. Patience is a virtue. My son is also named Bort. Nervzerg, Baldrick, Tautology is what it is. Frank G. Recca, General Pith, Uncle Batty, Savant, Teddy's Jam for you and Vince. Yeah, um, I want to do a quick update for the Weird Bears and Mama's Lovely Larva. Um, I have designs in for pins. I have an order ready to go for more Weird Bear shirts. Uh, sadly, we might be, it's looking like we might be mailing things around the holiday season, oh, no. which is unwise, I've heard. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Maybe we'll wait till. I wonder if like the day after Christmas. No, because like, then you got returns mail. You oh, gotta wait like yeah, a week you're or right. so. Well, it's looking like the timing will be weird. But I have a lot of things that I owe to a lot of people, um, and we are moving on that. We had a really good uh, art meeting last week. Yeah. Uh, myself, Matt, and uh, Son Sanders, the official artist for Space Cats Peace Turtles. <laughs> Um, and we have a lot of exciting things in the works, but I owe pins and I owe another wave of Weird Bear yeah. shirts. And I want you to know those are basically in, uh, they're, they're in the maker right now. Yeah. The, they are being made as we speak. I'll say this much. I love the Mama's Lovely Larva uh, pin. It yeah, the Mama's Lovely Larva really pin special. is choice. Uh, son uh, nailed it out of the park. Yep. Um, whenever I get the uh, whenever I get the physical ones in, I will post uh, yeah. an image of that pin. Right. So super um, excited. And we're gonna about have that. to hear soon. Start talking about what 2023's uh, faction of choice is gonna be for the fifty dollar tier. I've I've yeah. already been talking with Mom's little lovely larva about what they want uh, might want, and I have a couple. There's a couple of really good top contenders. Uh, I won't say what the names are, but Arborek has a lot of very good. <laughs> ideas of what Ooh. you can do with a goofy silly little childlike whimsical uh arborek name yummy so, well very much liking those this is our third and we have uh 22 more to go <laughs> so that's a lot of pins everybody yeah. and a lot, a lot of, of years of this show <laughs> a lot of my life <laughs> i suppose uh the galactic council pulls are not quite done are they wrapped up when do those end um those the, matt those will have been done as they will have been done today so we don't know what they are as of recording, recording. but we kind of do huh <laughs> we kind of do it looks like it i bet you it is um sidereal confluence for the off-topic non-ti episode yeah and then I bet it's Codex 4 wish list for the on-topic Twilight Imperium episode. And if I'm wrong, that's hilarious. Yep. And go ahead and, and chime in, Matt, from the future rules. to let me know I'm a dum-dum. Hey, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And if you found us and you're listening to us right now because you found us, maybe give us uh, five stars and be like, I found you. Ha ha. Here's five stars. You win. <laughs> and give me a little kiss. Uh, you can also go to our website. <laughs> 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 
Yes, Beast Turtle. He recommended a lot of five, like a lot of five star templates, and I gotta be honest, Matt, your yours is for sure the laziest. Five stars, haha! I found you. You can also that find out. Not, that's not even an idea. I just stars, like the, I, I found you. I would love to see that. That I get an email <laughs> when we get new reviews, and I just think it'd be really special if that. I'll popped tell you up. what. Right now, this is too good of an idea. So I am opening up my podcast <laughs> app, and I let's see. Let's look at my podcast. I, I'm not going to do this to us. I don't review our podcast. Uh, let's see. Which one do you want me to do this to, Matt? 538 Politics Podcast. No. <laughs> sleep With Me, which Probably. is a, sleep, a sleeping podcast. Um, Into the Aether, which is a video game podcast. Yeah. Um, Woodland War Machine. Ooh, there it is. Woodland War Machine. That's the answer. Okay. They, they, need, they deserve a five-star review from you. Okay, so here's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm in uh, Apple Podcast right now, and I'm going <laughs> to click. I'm going to write a review. Here we go. I'm clicking write a review. And... <laughs> I'm typing. Uh, what should the title? So, so the so the body of the review is, ha ha! I found you. No, no. The subject line is, ha ha, he he. And then the body okay. is, I found you. Okay, okay. Title, ha ha, he he. <laughs> and then the the body is, I found you. <laughs> Five stars. Oh, man. You can Great also deal. find our Patreon, Twitter, Discord, and Merchant, SpaceCatsPeaceTurtles.com, and you can send uh, this Imperium Lives to SpaceCatsPeaceTurtles at gmail.com. Ha ha! I found you! <laughs> <laughs>Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>